Hello, Goat Gabbers. This week, Cameron and I are joined by Ben Repchus, who takes us on a deep dive into the ADGA scorecard categories of dairy strength and body capacity. So grab your favorite summer beverage, kick back, or listen while you're doing your morning chores. We are glad you're here. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Goat Gab. We're so glad that you're joining us today. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura. And I'm Cameron. And today we are delighted to be joined by Ben Ruptious from Runzi, California. Hello, Ben. Hi there. Um, we've got so much to do. And uh, before we get busy with our episode, I'd just like to thank everybody for the feedback on the first part of this three-part series that we're doing on the AGA scorecard. Um, it's always good to hear that we're meeting the needs of our audience and that people are excited to hear what, what uh, we're discussing. It really made my heart just pitter-patter, for lack of a less corny way to put it, um, when I'm hearing that like 4-H groups and FFA groups are listening to this for a better understanding about dairy goats. So um, that's like totally cool. I'm really excited about that. So I hope I hope that uh, you find today's, I know you're going to find today's podcast to be just as helpful. So um, anyway, going from there, um, Ben, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself and your background with dairy goats to get us started? Yeah, so I have had goats, uh, like many, since I was young and in 4-H. My mother, where we lived, we had a quarter horse pony that was mine, and we had a goat to keep it company, a Nubian weather. And I decided that goats were cooler than horses. So then uh, we pre-ordered, picked out an Alpine doe kid, and that was uh, over 20 years ago. And that was in Virginia, so I grew up on the East Coast. And then I uh, kept the goats all the way through college. My family was super supportive. Um, really appreciate that. And then uh, when I graduated, I moved out to California, worked at Redwood Hills for a year. From there, uh, moved to a dairy that was nearby and shipping milk to their creamery. Um, managed that dairy for five years and then was up in northeastern Oregon for about three years. And now I work as the facility manager at the UC Davis Goat Research and Teaching Facility in the uh, Animal Science Department here at UC Davis. It's a laundry list of places you've worked, and I know you've had success everywhere you've went. Obviously, you spent some time at Redwood Hills, and then you obviously went work with Stephanie Rovey as well up there. And now you're at kind of like the premier dairy goat school, which is very cool. And I've had the opportunity to drive around that farm actually last year when I was out there. That thing is locked up tighter than Fort Knox, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty significant, you know, in this age uh, where there's a lot of kind of animal activism, if you will. Um, We really put the, you know, the safety and welfare of the animals at the forefront. So, you know, we want a secure facility. Um, I do invite anyone who is in the area, if they contact me with a little bit of notice, which I think Cameron was kind of last minute, but um, (laughs) I would be happy, you know, to, if there's time in my day to, you know, show them around the facility or if they're a prospective student, show them around the campus. I think I sent you a Snapchat, Ben. So yeah, that, that was, well, I, there. I, I was like, wait, you're where? And then, yeah. <laughs> Lots of planning there, Cameron. Good job. 
Planning is not my forte, I would say. I know how that is when you're on a road trip and you're like, oh, I could go here and I could go there. And there are only so many hours in the day. Oh, yes. So, Ben, I've got what's maybe a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When I was a um, very passionate goat person in high school, um, at that time, I really had my heart set on going to school at um, California State Polytechnic Institute because they had a dairy goat program there. Um, where you are, is there, can somebody like get a master's in dairy goat production? Is, is there a, a, a program just based on dairy goats or are, are you part of the whole animal science department? We're part of the whole animal science department. And we actually, in addition to the dairy goat herd, um, we also have a meat goat herd uh, and then a small group of transgenic goats, which are in type the same as dairy goats. They're just genetically a little bit different and altered. So they produce a specific uh, human lysozyme in their milk. But anyway, yeah, we're within the animal science department. But students, uh, undergraduate students, are able to work at the facility. If there's uh, a research project that's going on, they're able to intern or assist with that at the facility. And then, like, as a graduate student, um, you can kind of, to some degree, direct your work. And there are faculty that, you know, would be very eager. There's an incoming PhD student whose focus uh, is going to be dairy goat welfare. So she's going to be working on her PhD and, you know, doing some work here at the facility and then possibly some broader research in the industry as well. That is so cool. So our young, our young people that are listening and trying to think about future school programs and so forth, uh, keep that in mind. That's pretty neat. Yes, I would agree on that there. But before we jump into our topic today and continue our mini series on the scorecard with, with Ben here, let's, let's see what's happening on our farms. Laura, what's happening at your place? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, then. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll say why I'm going to say that. You, know, you remember how last time I said that, you know, my goats, their gills had sealed up and we don't have webbed feet anymore? Yeah. Then we got dumped another, like, 14 inches of rain since last Saturday. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, Gross. roads are closed. I have lakefront property again. Um, mud and you know, it's that soupy mud, you know, when you walk in it and your boots try to suck off of you and it's, it's just terrible. So, you know, way to go mother nature. We're counting down to the national show and this is just what I don't need is more mud. So that's, that's just frustrating. I think we're done with rain for a while though. So, you know, I hope I didn't just jinx myself with that, but that's really, that's, that's all it is. It seems like every day I'm taking off something off that list of things to do before we leave and um, very excited to be there. So that's it in a nutshell with me. Well, it sounds like the rain that you have, Ben could really use, right, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. We are at the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, we just hope that things don't catch on fire. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. That is so. I mean, I can complain about mud, but at least mud's not too scary. Uh, fires are just. I, I just feel so so bad for you guys. That's just awful. Yeah, yep. but the goats, the goats are happy so long as it's dry. They don't. I don't think they worry too much about the abstract threats. So um, <laughs> most of the time, as long as we're not having to evacuate, they're pretty happy with the dry weather. Beautiful alfalfa. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, that mm -hmm. irrigated alfalfa out there—that's that's candy hay compared to you know some of the crap we have here. 
I love yeah. my hey guy, by the way. I want to publicly say that he does not produce crap. So I want that on public record. You guys have a lot, a lot more challenging though for you and whoever puts up your hay to put up my hay. Yes, right, right, and I think you know as far as my hay people do, they they keep me in hay and they do absolutely the very best that they always can, and I can't complain about that at all. But um, having said that, boy, I'll tell you what: sometimes I look at the hay that you all get out west, and I think just give me a little bit of ranch dressing, and I'm I'm good. I could I could eat that myself. So yeah, um, on my farm, not I, I feel like it's been quiet, like. No goat shows to prep for, no national, like nationals on the horizon. There's that looming threat of like, of it's just coming. It's just coming. And, you know, I've really picked up at work and, and I've been working a little bit there and traveling as well with that. So, um, but still milking the three times a day is ever important. But I feel like that milking time this year really shifts from, am I going to milk at, you know, 1030 or am I going to milk at like 130? So, um, working and forever moving that target there. But, by the time this podcast gets released, my website will be up to date and all of the pictures of the dries and bucks will be taken by them. That is my promise to I, myself. I'm impressed. Um, my daughters are coming home for the, for the fourth weekend, you know, and we all are off on Monday. So my middle daughter, the planner um, whip cracker has said, make sure you have white pants. I'm putting up a, a backdrop and we're taking pictures of everybody. So there we go. That must be that must be the thing to do this weekend because that is actually on uh, our list as well tomorrow morning, the holiday weekend. I'm later in the weekend. I'm headed out appraising. Um, as yay, yay! So that's exciting. But tomorrow morning, that's pictures are are on our to do list. Um, so I guess that's what what's up for this weekend for everybody. Ben. I felt like you left out. Um, something unique about yourself besides the fact that you've worked at all these historic herds and the fact that you're an appraiser is that your significant other also is interested in goats as well. Yeah. Yep. And that's really awesome. And Rebecca Clark, uh, she has La Manchas and Sonnens. Um, we both have Sonnens. Uh, she has La Manchas as well. I have Alpines in addition to the Sonnens. I can pull a Toggenbergs also. Um, so, but it's really great because she, uh, she really uh, works her heart out. Um, you know, those times where like when I'll be out appraising, uh, it really the burden, as we all know, you know, when any member of the team or family or whoever our support network is, is gone, that it's extra challenging for whoever stays at home. So really, I re I'm really appreciative and grateful for her. Uh, I, br I bring that up because I think it's so unique that you and your significant other or my myself and my significant other or anybody that does goats really together, it's it's just such a different dynamic um, when you do livestock together when it, and you both kind of put your heart into it. Um, and, and I'm not discounting and saying that other people's you know, families don't do that, but sometimes there's always a driving force in that. Um, and I think it's just important to point out that, hey, that's too, sometimes goat people do connect and uh, end up together. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Ben, you also didn't mention your herd. So you want to say a little bit about um, your, uh, your herd name and uh, you have some pretty amazing accomplishments that you've, you've had under your belt over the years. 
Yeah, so uh, Barely is my herd name, and that stems from when I grew up in Virginia, right up against the Shenandoah National Park. So the National Park uh, has a tremendous number of black bears that we would have black bears, you know, wandering through the farm and, uh, you know, find bear poop in the driveway and things like that. So that's where the herd name comes from. And then uh, alpines are what I've really worked with the longest and have had a fair amount of success with in terms of uh, high appraising animals, uh, high producing animals. I've had top 10 animals, animals that have been on the elite list uh with uh, their for their performance their production evaluations uh and yeah that's kind of sort of my focus has been you know i started out 4-h and showing a lot and then uh really brought the production in and have been fairly successful with that in terms of proving animals through the production evaluations uh, so yeah, that's kind of, that's the background on my herd. And then like to go on, I'm also, you know, judge appraiser on several committees. I don't know if Trinity mentioned she was chair of the type committee, which is very uh, relevant to the scorecard and kind of guides discussion and possible changes to the scorecard. I, I'm on that committee as well as spotlight sale, uh, repro tech. I've been on genetic advancement, been on registration. So I try to try to be involved as much as, you know, time permits. Very good. Awesome. I I think you're I think all of that is really relevant to our discussion today. So thanks for sharing about that. Yeah, I agree there. But speaking of ADGA and talking about obviously Ben's been involved, we're involved in ADGA, I think we have to at least mention that the ADGA National Show and the rules that got changed. Laura, what are the details? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I think a good place to start out is just to say Thank you, because I know that there were some directors who put their necks out on the line, who who were that squeaky wheel that felt like that they weren't going to be quiet until they until they were heard. And, um, you know, just just thank you. All the people that are the unsung heroes behind this. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm not shy in saying that I I feel like that. changes needed to be made at the very least opening it up to allow spectators to come. I just didn't see where there was going to be any type of a, a harm that was related to having spectators there and, you know, way to go Adga for listening to the membership and, and really taking stepping back even when it's not comfortable to do so and take a hard look. So um, in a nutshell, spectators can come and watch the national show now you will be asked to wear a mask the entire time you're there. And I believe there are certain hours that you're asked to, to leave by at the end of the day. Um, and they're not going to require proof of vaccination anymore. Uh, that's been done away with. And um, the way that I'm reading it and Ben and Cameron, you can tell me if I'm missing something here, but the way that I'm reading it is, if you're in a situation where you are not right up close and personal with somebody like in your attack pen or, um, you know, walking in the barn or sleeping at night, you don't have to have a mask, but the times that you're going to be within six feet of somebody. And especially if it's in a situation like where there's a bunch of people congregated, they're going to ask you to wear a mask regardless of your vaccination status, which what we know about these variants that are coming along and, um, uh, that seems to be a very uh, reasonable restriction to me. Did I catch it all? 
I think so. I think that's kind of the gist of it there. Um, I, I, some people, again, I think I talked to Laura about this and I definitely talked to my brother who is not in goats, but he watches the goat world with excitement because he loves to just comment on it all because he's a super nerd <laughs> like that. He, he told me, he's like, so what do you think? I said, for every reaction, there will be an equal but opposite reaction to it. So whether it's good or bad, because we did see some negative reactions as well on the, on the internet. Um, so, you know, there was good reaction. There was bad reaction. Um, you know, I'll go out and publicly say, I think this was the right decision. Um, so I think going on from there, that's kind of the excitement of the net of the, of the Edgar world. I do also think though, it looks like some of the bugs with NG are starting to work through. Um, I know that, um, a ticket that I had, that I had had in a long time ago got resolved. And so I think, you know, it's like eating an elephant. You do it a bite at a time. I think they're, they're making small headway steadily is what I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but um, I'll talk about, I'll talk about this here because this is my recent experience. And by recent, I mean, it was 30 minutes ago. So I sold a goat to a person. I got it registered um, and then sent them the paper. They sent it in to get transferred. They still haven't gotten the paper back. And they probably did this in May. It's now in July. And their county 4-H fair is July 10th, which by the time this podcast drops will be three days from then. So what do they do? Like, they need a proof of registration and proof that this girl owns the goat in order to show it. So, that and, and it's very disheartening to me that, you know, we are not letting our because of snafus and paperwork or because of system limitations or whatever, we're hindering kids' ability in order to show what their county fares because they don't have some type of proof. Um, and, it, and it's terrible to me and it disheartens me. So I just wanted to let, like, for people that are aware of that situation or are unaware and thinking that things with the NG are getting right and set, it's it's not yet. So, well, I didn't mean it was fixed. I just oh, feel yeah. like they're trying to move forward in some areas. But yeah, that I agree with that with the 4-Hers. And, and Ben, I know that California has always been uh, one of the top 4-H states in the country in a lot of areas, but especially in dairy goats. And I would imagine there too, you know, they don't understand ADGA. They don't understand the terrible mess that's going on right now with registration. But what they do understand is if a kid doesn't have, isn't meeting the rules, they're not going to get to show, right? Yeah. And like broader than that, even, um, you know, what we've seen a lot out here with shows is there's been kind of a lack of uh, continuity and, you know, a break in the continuum. Then there's been a lot of momentum lost in 4-H programs, in club shows, in avenues like that, that, you know, last year, all the setbacks that were experienced, and then, you know, this year with some of the things with NG, that it's been really challenging for everyone to kind of build their momentum back and get back into the swing of things, which I think is unfortunate because there are a lot of, especially uh, the newest breeders and those who are um, just starting in goats that, you know, these are the sorts of things that they get really enthusiastic about. You know, when you when you buy a goat and you transfer the papers and you get the papers back and they're in your name, and you're able to take that goat and show it at the fair or at the club show. Like those are all the sort of those first steps that I think really uh, 
connect people and sort of build their emotional investment in this, you know, in this activity. And when we lose out on those things, some of those people are going to be lost forever, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that's a a great perspective there from a user experience of just um, the American Dairy Association as a whole. And I hate to say like user, when I think of user experience, normally it's from an IT software, but I, I, you know, we often forget in the in the hullabaloo and the in the craziness of the goat world that hey, there is a user experience too to any type of association you're involved in or anything like that, and how you're perceived and everything. How that happens within the first six months of it, or it's really going to decide if you're going to continue with it or not. So, Ben, it seems to me like on the you know, of course, the Facebook and the internet is one of the very best pot stirring instruments that there is in the world, I think. But you hear a lot of people saying, um, just leave AGA or start a new organization or um, change over to AGS. Do you, do you hear that out West too? Or do you hear that on your appraising um, trips? Are people mumbling Uh, about that? There, there's rumbling about that. And I would say out here specifically, you know, with regards to AGS and primarily with Nigerian morph breeders, um, since that is a, you know, readily accessible option for those breeders. Um, you know, I think realistically, though, what we all want is, you know, an organization that's, you know, fun to work with and, you know, a resource for all of us and, you know, that's, adds and builds to, you know, this thing that we devote so much time to. So I think like mainly people want a solution. Mainly people just want things to be better, um, more so than to totally jump ship or uh, go a different direction. Well, that's good for Adga. Well, and I I think if people want things to get better, they can do it by selecting their directors and voting and the process and embracing the process, which will come out. Those ballots will come out this month. So um, look for that if you're an ADGA member. But I think about talking about ADGA and talking about everything ADGA provides. I think this is a perfect transition to go right into the scorecard and talk with Ben about dairy strength and body capacity what do y'all think i'm ready i'm excited that sounds good to me all right i think i think first thing here and i think we have to talk about dairy strength first because i think and i think we need to dev- devote most of the time to this episode to dairy strength because dairy strength to me is one of the hardest things for a new person to really see and understand and really get don't you agree ben or laura yes i absolutely agree and I also think, too, that the change from calling it dairy character um, confuses people sometimes because, you know, it. I, I feel like that before when people looked at an animal and said, oh, she's just dripping in dairy character, a lot of times what they were really saying is um, that doe doesn't have very much depth of body or depth of rib, and she's really refined and really fine boned which really is not a dairy character at all because I, you know, I, I always think back to that old, that old saying, um, the will to milk and the strength to sustain it. And so, you know, changing it to dairy strength, I think hopefully has helped with that, but I really am eager to hear your explanation on this, Ben. Yeah. Hopefully the change to dairy strength, you know, it brings people face to face with the fact that there are some, 
seemingly antagonistic uh, qualities within this category that we're trying to bring together and meld together for, you know, the ideal animal. Well, let's start with what, in your eyes, Ben, what is dairy strength? So exactly what uh, Laura was saying in terms of the will to milk and the strength to sustain it and the visual expression, the physical expression of that. So on the scorecard, it says angularity and openness with strong yet refined and clean bone structure. So that's an animal that, you know, it shows form that's indicative of a high level of function. So in a dairy animal, we're expecting an animal that isn't carrying excess condition while also is still showing enough substance of bone and enough condition that we aren't worried, you know, if she encounters some stress or health challenge, that that's going to tip her over the edge. So we want that sort of baseline strength and then the indication of the ability to function at a very high level. Okay, so I'm going to put a little bit of a devil's advocate hat on here and just say, okay, come on, Ben. A lot of times in the show ring, fat is the prettiest color. It is. It covers, fat covers a multitude of sins. Was, I, I think there was an appraiser or something that told me that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I probably said that. You've probably said that, Cameron. That's the phrase that, you know, I've, it, on one level, I understand it. On the other level, it makes me cringe a little. <laughs> okay. All right. So can you have an animal that's fat that's also a high producer? Yes, you can. I mean, I would argue that that's not necessarily the ideal. Um, And I think that's in any area that we're evaluating, we have to understand that there are outliers. So you can have a fat animal that's a very, you know, highly productive animal. Um, But in the same breath, an animal that's carrying a high degree of condition that condition is going to put stress on her frame, ultimately, because we're looking, the whole idea of the scorecard is to uh, that long productive lifetime. So if you have an animal that's carrying excess condition, when that animal starts to reach advanced age, it's, it's going to impact her feet and legs and you know some of the things that Trinity talked about in general appearance. So just like people, it's not healthy to carry that kind of a weight. Absolutely. Okay. One thing that I often think about and talk about and really have discussions about in my mind is we talk about fat and and obviously that, but also we talk about being, having um, good bone. And oftentimes we refer to it as clean bone structure. Um, Can you maybe distinguish the difference between fat and clean bone structure? Um, Yeah. So I think it's helpful, you know, maybe if we kind of go into some of the nuts and bolts of the category, and that way we can focus on the specific points that illustrate some of the qualities that you're talking about or lack thereof. Sorry, Um, I got excited. Does that that sound? I know we're all getting excited. And that's (laughs) the thing, dairy strength, it's not, you know, it's not broken out as neatly as the other categories. So, you know, we're sort of drawn to this, drawn to that. uh, But... Yeah. yeah. So is that cool if we kind of just start with yeah. the yeah. run? run that sounds like a perfect approach. Take it away, Ben. All right. So the first on the scorecard is neck. And this is, I feel like, an area that is relatively easy for most people to kind of 
gain a sense of what, you know, what's desirable uh, according to the scorecard and according to our sort of collective sense of what makes a productive animal. Uh, so for dairy strength, a neck that's long, lean, and blending smoothly into the shoulders with a clean cut throat. And then it goes on to talk about the brisket and chest a bit. But to focus on the neck, you know, I think we all have in our minds, hopefully, that sort of quintessential uh, silhouette of, you know, that animal that's upstanding. Uh, you think about our clean cut throat, long lean neck. Uh, but the one area that I sort of caution is, you know, we don't want to move into overly refined. So you can have a long lean neck. And yet, you know, if you look, that's in profile, usually that people evaluate that. But then if you kind of turn to the rear or front and look over the top of the neck, is it a neck that still shows, you know, a degree of muscling, a degree of fleshing, a degree of substance, because on the other end of the spectrum of what we would like is an animal that's overly refined, that's under conditioned. And that's an animal that, you know, their neck may only, you know, would be extremely thin when you look at it from the top or from the rear. Uh, so I think it's important, you know, in the profile, we sort of get that essence of length and cleanliness around the throat. And then if we look over the top, we can see, you know, if there's a healthy degree of fleshing and muscling uh, that, you know, would be indicative of a healthy body condition. So Ben, talking about the neck here, and I, I don't know if we talked about it with Trinity or not, but, but I think there's some overlap between general appearance in the front end assembly and neck here is when we talked a little bit, I think, about that U-shaped neck, where does that kind of come into play? And obviously it's different on every, every goat there. And you can imagine, you can, you can, you all know what I'm talking about when I say U-shaped, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. I think um, that's one that a lot of times it comes into play where uh, you have an animal with, that's almost overly, overly refined with extremely prominent withers. And that's where, you know, it's almost challenging when the withers are so prominent, you know, if the neck were to join, it would be like on top of the withers to not be a, you know, that phrase that we use, you neck. Um, so typically that's where I see it. Because if you think about it, uh, in animals that are a little bit heavier, it's pretty rare that we see an animal that demonstrates that you neck. Usually it's in a more refined with an, that extreme prominence to the withers that would indicate, you know, overly extreme in terms of refinement. Interesting. I can totally picture that. Yeah. One thing as well, I kind of want to pick your brain on this one too. This is my last point about the neck, I promise, because I think necks are just, it kind of where, it's kind of where the beautiful silhouette starts is, um, and you see, sometimes you see necks that are almost like a 45 degree angle. And then other times when you look at goats, you'll see necks that might kind of jut out a little bit and they'll get rid of that 45 degree angle. Do you guys know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's almost and, a difference between a high headed animal and an animal that's just, you know, has their head. Yeah. At that 45 degree angle. I can see that. Sure. Yeah. So I guess where does that play into that there? I mean, I, obviously I'm looking at the scorecard right now cause I brought it up, but it's, is that coming from a chest issue there? Is that really the neck? Is that a brisket problem? What, in your opinion, where does that kind of lie? 
Um, I think that's a that's a good sort of other end of the spectrum to talk about because uh, that would seem to fall more into the category of usually an overall heavier animal that you know has a little coarser, thicker neck that the neck sort of lacks definition from where it ties in at the brisket. That you know the neck just be sort of becomes one with the brisket, which certainly isn't what we want in that beautiful, elegant silhouette. Gotcha. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to be as descriptive as Trinity and I don't think I'm doing it as well, but um, <laughs> I think you're doing fine. It's fine. <laughs> but I think going right in the neck, I think that leads right to withers though. When you say Ben. Yeah. Yep. So we have withers uh, prominent and wedge shaped with the dorsal process rising slightly above the shoulder blades. And this is one of those areas of the scorecard where there's some nuance and, you know, some adverbs that are very important, slightly above the wither or above the shoulder blades. Uh, there are areas on the scorecard where just like that, that it talks about a trait and then it says, but we only want it a little bit that way, not too much that way. Uh, and I think that's really significant to kind of hone in on those details. Otherwise, withers, like I was saying, you know, you have the animals that are overly prominent, that are extreme. Uh, those are usually uh, indicating, those are usually animals that are overly refined, or when we start to look through the rest of the animal, they lack some of the angularity that's talked about uh, in dairy strength and the increasing depth. You know, all the goat is withers, and that's, again, not really what we're looking for. So I love ben. that word angularity. Sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm just oh, no, going to throw this up. the The word angularity um, gets used in so many different ways with goats. You know, you you t you'll hear people talk about a proper angularity in their slope of rump. You'll talk. You'll hear people mention uh, correct angularity to the hind legs when viewed from the side or when viewed from the rear. But I think you really have to kind of change gears when you're talking about angularity in dairy strength. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit more, Ben? Yeah, I think that brings up a good point because sometimes our, our word choice melds together a little bit in ways that can be unclear. And in dairy strength, angularity, the way that I've had it sort of taught to me and what I've come to understand is think about angularity in terms of triangles and Dairy strength is the area where we look for triangles. We look at the overall shape of the goat. So if we start with that long lean neck into a prominent wither, and then that extends jumping a little bit ahead into body capacity, a deep, you know, deep, wide, long barrel, that overall essence of the goat and profile is triangular. Similarly, if we look at the animal from the top, an animal with increasing width throughout as you come back through the ribs and across the rump. If you look at the rear rib, the rear rib, uh, lower rear rib should angle towards the flank. That forms a triangle uh, if you track the loin to the hip and then down to the flank, and hopefully that rear rib angles towards the flank. That's another triangle. So those are the, the angles uh, that I've been taught it sort of exemplify the angularity that we're looking for in dairy strength. Yeah, I love that. I just... Those are great word pictures. I and hopefully, you know, Trinity talked a little bit about head too. That's another place where, you know, that wedge shape comes into play. Uh, another shoulder assembly. When we look at, you want, uh, in withers, we talked about prominent wedge shape. 
um, the top of the withers, you know, being pointed, but then we also want a wide chest floor that's full at the point of elbow. So that's yet another triangle. One thing that I think as you're thinking about triangles too, um, when I was in 4-H in, in judge, on judging teams and we talked about the differences between beef, beef cattle and dairy cattle, um, I had an instructor point out that if you look at a beef animal, there's lots of round rounds. You want to see, you know, the, the rounder shapes, whereas you're looking for those sharper angles with a dairy animal. And I think when you look at a, at a boar goat or another type of a meat goat, that's really illustrated well on the goat side of things. Um, you see a lot more curves that, that the butt of the, um, boar goat is so very different than the whole rump structure of a dairy goat. And I just think it's kind of neat to look at that too. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a hundred percent true. And like when, if I'm at a fair interacting with the public or someone who doesn't really have a you know background in livestock, I try to use that reference point as, you know, if you, you're driving down the road and you see an black Angus cow, think about that on one extreme and then your Holstein cow or Jersey on the other. And those sort of exemplify just what you're saying. On one end, we have the sort of rounder uh, beef cattle, uh, the Angus, and then the more angular dairy cattle, the Holsteins and Jerseys. But hopefully all of them demonstrate good strength and substance of bone. <laughs> yes, because you need bone on cows. Otherwise, your your uh, your steaks would not be able to uh, be steaks very long. <laughs> no, and your dairy cows wouldn't produce... I mean, they they wouldn't be able to produce very long. A cow has a lot of weight to carry on those feet and legs, for sure. Yeah, truth. Uh, ben, I, I, and Laura mentioned it here. I do have a question. When and I say it myself, I say this as a judge all the time, too, but we talk about sharpness, sharper in the withers. What does that necessarily mean in your eyes? Uh, in my eyes, it would be something that we would observe in the withers and uh, down through, especially the over the hips and the rear legs. You know, if we think about goats that do maybe have a tendency towards being smoother, fatter, rounder, typically they don't show, you know, the prominence over the hip or, you know, through the pins and down through the stifle and hock. They may just be fleshier. Um, and a high degree of fleshiness or condition, if an animal is relatively recently fresh, does not necessarily indicate a high level of milk production. So you're talking about like the goats that you could set dinner on their shoulders because there is no prominence of withers there. It's just just as wide and straight and flat across as a dinner table. Right. And we have some of those here at Davis, but they're boar goats. <laughs> Well, they're doing they're doing their job with their those dinner plate children. <laughs> That's because they are on the dinner plate. That's right. We're gonna be. <laughs> Going to be. Well, perfect. Anything else, Ben? Um, Laura, about withers that we want to talk about here? No, I, I I'm good. How about you, Ben? Um, no, I think I think good to yeah. Does that kind of answer the question about sharpness? I think like withers is the first place we see it, but then yeah. hopefully as we look over the entire back and rump, 
we see it there as well. I'm yeah, trying to pick out great. phrases that you know you hear judges use that might need a little more clarification because I feel like as a judge we've have all of these words and they're in the guidebook for the most part, but sometimes they're not as clearly defined when you look at goats and you know you're judging so fast. Uh, you're not judging fast. I mean you're judging. You're doing a a, a thorough but speedy ish job. Um, assuming that you're judging at a correct pace, um, but sometimes that's often lost. Sometimes the you know sharpness, cleanness. You know when you use some of these words, sometimes they're not necessarily defined, especially if you're newer. When you guys say, "Yes, yeah, yeah," so and we like as judges, we do have that tendency to you know we have these smooth phrases or phrases that roll off the tongue that, like you said, maybe aren't always as specific or clear as they could be. Yeah. Okay, so that's a perfect lead-in, I feel like, to our next <laughs> element, yeah. dairy strength. Um, ribs. And, and um, so Cameron's dad, Ed, did a pre-training conference for us a couple of weeks ago and spent a, quite a bit of time talking about ribs, how it talks about flat and flinty. And that is really difficult sometimes for people to really pick up on what the heck is a flinty rib or a flinty type of bone. So I'm eager to hear what you can teach us about that, Ben. Well, that was one that as I was reading through and reviewing the scorecard, I was unclear on as well. (laughs) um, What, like, I mean, I have a sense of what the rib is that, you know, corresponds to this overall strength or correctness in dairy strength, um, what's flat, what's open. What exactly do you think flinty is though? What does that mean? So I I know I'm supposed to be the expert. (laughs) Well, so I I am going to say again, reckoning back to um, when I was in 4-H with my uh, judging coach, they actually showed us different types of bones from a dairy cattle and also from a beef cow. And when you see the actual bone, there are bones that are rounder and bones that are not. And there are bones that are almost smooth and slick looking that were from the beef cattle and bones that were a little rougher that he said were from the dairy cow. And and he talked about how that flintier bone Uh, will put muscle on or hold muscle better, but not so much with fat. Now, I don't know if that was just, you know, a a good BS or if that's really true or not. So I'm kind of eager to see what you think about that. And I could see, I could see where that would be true. I mean, certainly the simple sort of geometric structure of the bone, the flatness that we're talking about. So, you know, when you put your hands on the rib of a goat, you know, does it feel round like a, you know, half inch rod or is it flat? And I could see how that would, you know, change how muscle and how fat builds. So, you know, maybe that's what he was referring to. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. What about, what about you, Cameron? What, what comes to mind when you think of plenty? Um, I think, you know, and we kind of talked about how, you know, round the roundness of the bone and I am not an expert. I wouldn't say on flinty bone. I've, I've maybe used it once or twice in a set of reasons, um, in in my day here. Um, but I, I think it really has to do with like 
kind of the, almost the structure of the bone almost as well. Cause he, Laura talked about how you can tell the difference between round bone and, and almost not hollow bone, but like more straight bone on does. And I think that's kind of what it has to do with, but that's not my great answer on that as well. So, well, maybe, uh, maybe if you, you, we run across or you run across somebody else in your podcasts, you could bring up the Flint East subject with them. you. You sure. betcha. We, we are, we are going to, <laughs> I'm going to write that down for next episode. So, so looking at the ribs, looking at ribs though, let's talk about ribs a little bit, Ben, and what, what kind of things you look, look at when you're evaluating ribs for dairy strength. Yeah. So, um, it's really a category or a subcategory, a single line that I have a lot of appreciation for. Yeah. So looking at, hopefully we all recognize that the show may not always be on the day that your animal looks the best, but when it comes to that day, you know, your animal is at her peak and in, you know, just the condition you want her in, in my sense, there should be, you know, some definition to the ribs. Uh, and that definition should hopefully demonstrate what the scorecard talks about in terms of the flatness, the openness, the wide part, I would say, is, you know, what they're talking about in open. And then the length of the rib, also very significant um, in terms of the depth of the forerib. So that's going to contribute to thoracic capacity, you know, that depth from the withers down to the chest floor. That's a, you know, an expression of the depth of rib, the length of the, that forerib. And then the top, we move into on the scorecard, the lower rear ribs and the angle of those ribs. So your, your four ribs generally are fairly straight up and down. And then as you move, hopefully, uh, towards the rear rib, the ribs become more open and angled. And I think of it, the way that I sort of demonstrate it with people frequently is I'll take my hand and, you know, kind of just cut my thumb across my palm. And then with my, you know, four remaining fingers, you know, hold them close together. And those are straight ribs. And then I sort of extend them out with my pinky being the rear rib. And ideally, those animals that show a lot of uh, angularity. This is again where we're going back into angularity and in body capacity, the depth and strength and length of rear barrel. Those are animals with long, deep ribs uh, that extend and support uh, both the chest and then the barrel as well. So it's a category where it's like it's all about the capacity that it enables and then also indicates. You know, is this an animal that is laying down fat reserves or is this an animal that hopefully is metabolizing what it consumes into milk? Uh, so it's sort of it's like the area for me, probably on the scorecard that brings everything together the most besides the udder, of course, because, you know, you look at a goat's udder and that's, you know, short of there are goats that are exemptions. But that's the area where we can really go. Oh, yeah, this looks like a productive goat. But the ribs are the ribs are probably that's the other area where I really kind of can see what's going on. I feel like with a goat. Um, well, I, I feel like ribs and there's so much to talk about. It's it, The ribs to me are similar to what the front end is in general appearance. There's so many things to talk about the ribs. Are they flat? Are they flinty? Whatever flinty means. Um, are they, are they long and are they angled? Because I think that angle is so important and, and you talked about it perfectly there. It is that support for that barrel. And you can see that angle of that rib back. And you did such a great job of just 
laying it out there in terms of the, uh, the what you said. And I really like that. But I think there's so much of a linkage between the ribs and the barrel when you're connecting body capacity and dairy strength. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And uh, like to go back to that angle of the rear rib. So one of the one of the sort of senior breeders and dairymen and judges, appraiser classifiers, who I have just the utmost admiration and respect for is Ray Vieira and Clover Tops. Um, and he, I was watching him judge. I haven't, he, had, he doesn't, he's not a judge any longer. Um, but, you know, one of the last shows that he was judging at, um, he was, we think of typically the goat, the judges is going up to the goats and they, you know, kind of run your hands over the shoulders and feel the ribs and, I don't remember whether it was a champion lineup or best in show lineup, but he would go up to each of the goats and just put his index finger on the rear rib and just kind of roll it over the rear rib and then into the gap between the rear rib and the second to last rib. And I felt like that was like in my mind, you know, after I saw him do that, they like that one spot could tell so much about the goat. That's cool. That'd be, that would have been neat to see. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, that was kind of, you know, another one of those moments that, you know, you read these things on the scorecard and that really brought it all together. I think the one thing about ribs, and if you're showing it like as much as Laura and I and some of our listeners do, is, you know, judges really make sure to feel those ribs. Like, and and that's what we're doing when we put your hands on those goats is we... We put our hands on the goats and we feel the spacing between the ribs. And it's so important. And also from there, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, we can get the desired texture of skin as well. But um, so that that's kind of why some of the, the method behind the madness of why a judge puts their hands right in between those ribs to determine that spacing there. There are goats that have anomalies, you know, that'll have an extra rib or that'll have had a broken rib. So I think, you know, it's something if you're, you know, in tune with your goats and constantly observing them. You know, it's something to kind of put your finger on, so to speak. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next element. It, it's funny, you know, having having my last child in showmanship. Well, she's not a child. She's 19. She reminds me all the time. Mom, I'm grown up. So, um, but, you know, okay, mom, the six elements of dairy care of dairy strength are neck withers, ribs, flank, thighs, and skin, you know, Okay. Okay. Good. We've got this down, but you know, to really look at what the flank is other than um, a part of the dairy goat that judges like to trip showmanship kids up with a lot. Let's talk about the flank a little bit. Yeah. So the flank uh, scorecard calls for deep yet arched and free of excess tissue. So this would be another area that, you know, in a doe that's kind of reaching the peak of function would be another area that we would see a triangle. So where that flank would kind of cut up from the barrel to the point of the uh, stifle. And then, you know, the triangle that would be formed would be then if you follow the stifle down towards the hawk. Um, so ideally in a dairy animal, again, going back to that comparison between beef and dairy, that flank will be clean cut. You know, hopefully there's no flank steak there. Um, <laughs> that And whereas on the opposite of end of the spectrum with a heavier bone or coarser, rounder animal overall, you would not expect to see that really nice triangular, that arching up into the flank, um, up towards the stifle. 
hopefully yeah. that, you know, I feel like Trinity set such a high bar with her, you know, painting with words. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would agree. Yeah. But I think you can definitely tell if there's arch in that flank. Cause what you'll see basically, if there is excess tissue or if they are a little thicker in the flank is they, you'll see a straight line right there coming right across. You won't see that yeah. beautiful arch that you need. And I think when, when we talk about flank, it's so important to say, Hey, you know, she's, two-dimensional in the flank but you can tell when those goats for lack of a better term are three-dimensional in that flank in which they show that height instead of just that length and that width absolutely and it's another it's another one where dairy strength sort of blends into you know body capacity at least as a reference point that you know when they have that deeper barrel it makes it it provides a background that you can really see when that when the flank is clear cleanly arched or, you know, when it's, like you said, just kind of runs straight across. So I have a question about flanks. Is that something that is very heavily impacted by the overall conditioning of the animal? Like, can you take an animal that, that doesn't have a great flank, um, you know, put her on a diet, milk her four times a day, whatever it takes to increase her production, and her flank is better? Or is that something that you can see in a kid? Uh, this doe doesn't have a good flank. She's not refined in the flank from the very get-go, and it's something that you're going to have to breed out with a judicious breeding. So I'm not, I'm not so sure on the, you know, if you had an animal that was rounder overall and coarser, not showing the overall angularity and was not arched in the flank. I'm not sure what would happen if you got that animal really skinny because that would probably take a work, a lot of work, and not in a good way because hopefully that animal that animal seems physiologically like it has a tendency to just lay on a lot of conditions. So hopefully she's not going to get skinny. But what I would say is that you know if you have an animal that does tend towards having that desirable arch and is generally angular, that even when they do put on a lot of condition, they maintain that arch. Um, it's not something, in my experience, that really disappears. Um, so, you know, you might have an animal that's on an extended lactation, uh, you know, that's started to put back on some significant weight, but, you know, that's an area where usually you still kind of see that, that cleanliness. That's exactly the answer I was looking for, Ben. Um, or oh, the, yeah, because I've heard some people say, well, it's not that she's not dairy. She's just kind of fat. If I put her on a diet, she'd be dairy. No, it's not. That's not, that's not what you're looking for. <laughs> but one thing I do want to say, I'm looking through some pictures of some goats actually. So on my phone. So um, I will, I will say you can be fat and have some evidence of dairy strength too. I'm looking through some goats that I've pictured here and um, I will not comment whose goats they are, but um, you know, I'm looking at some of them and very and comparing them to some of the other pictures I have. And I'm like, okay, these goats might be a little heavier than what I like, but you can have a very arched flank. And in some cases as well, you know, we talk about, you know, the angle, sometimes the angle of the flank might also be too angular. If that makes sense. Am I, yeah. am I going crazy? Yeah. No, I'm yeah, and I think like what you were sort of what you were cluing in on that on there um, about you know animals that may have started to put on a condition again is like it's really good to separate out that you know fat is not or you know having more condition is not lacking dairy strength and being skinny or you know not having enough weight is not having dairiness or dairy strength so it's really important to find those aspects that you can hone in on and accurately evaluate regardless of their condition. 
So for some of our listeners that are newer to dairy goats, when you're showing your animal in, in a show and the judge asks you when you're, how many times your doe is freshened and when she freshened the last time, it's not just uh, one of those trick questions that they're just asking so they have something to talk to you about. That can really impact the way that the judge is evaluating your animal. If they know that they're on an extended lactation or they've been fresh for 10 months already, giving a little bit more leeway for some animal carrying some extra fleshing. Would that, would you say that's a correct statement? Yeah. I mean, what do you think as a judge, Cameron, is that something you weigh? Uh, How do do you handle that? So the scorecard says we give due regard to stage of lactation or, you know, what stage of rut they're in. If it's a buck, Um, I, I generally do um, to some extent. However, sometimes, you know, if a goat's coming in pretty fresh, you know, I, I'll be like, okay, you know, this goat's going to look different in, in, you know, two months from now than what it is. And we evaluate the animals on the day we see them, not on what they're going to look like in two months. So I, I think it's a case by case situation there. And I hate that it sounds very political of me. Um, but I think it's a case by case situation, but sometimes I can see where the dairy strength is going with the doe when you're judging them. And I'd be like, I, in two months, this goat's going to be at the head of the line because maybe she's 10 days fresh or something. But other times I'm like, okay, you know, this, this goat, you can kind of tell on dairy strength, no matter what stage of lactation they are as well on some aspects of dairy strength. I don't think flank is one of them. Um, I think neck, you can definitely really tell, you know, even in early lactation, you can definitely tell if they have a lean neck or not, um, you know, compared to flank where that tends to change throughout the lactation um, there. Okay, I'm not going crazy. So good. I'm glad you agree with me, Ben. <laughs> well, he's not going to tell you that today anyway. <laughs> so moving moving on, let's talk about thighs. Oh, I love thighs. I know. That's just, this just sounds like it could be awkward. But, um. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Let's keep it PG. But yes, let's talk about thighs. Talking about thighs, yeah. Um, so moderately incurving from pin bone to stifle, from the rear clean and wide apart, highly arched and outcurving into the escutcheon to provide ample room for the udder and its attachment. So I think, you know, it, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but again, going back to that contrast between beef and dairy, you know, is, you know, we want an animal that when she consumes energy, she you know, maintains her condition and then, you know, makes a lot of milk. So when the way that I think about it with thighs is you want a thigh that's accommodating of an udder and milk production versus one that's fatty and muscular. So what that is, is one that when you look at them in profile, so from the side, has that incurvingness. And then from the rear is clean and open and arched into the escutcheon that in kids or dry yearlings will you know, provide ample room and space for a mammary system. And in milking goes, provides ample room for that mammary system. So I like to talk about thighs. Um, <laughs> that just sounds so weird. Um, I like to talk about thighs and think about thighs when I'm judging Nigerian dwarf dry yearlings class, because I think... It's so evident in judging those classes. Ben, have you ever experienced this before? Yes. Yes, I have experienced this. And you're judging and you have them in the side-by-side lineup. 
And what you're doing is you're looking at overconditioned Nigerians and they all look like you lambs or ram lambs or, or weathers, weathers, sheep, um, because they just they're they're not out curving. They're a bit bulky in the in the thigh. They're they're not free of excess fleshing. And I think if you want to see uh, a kind of a and I think Nigerian dwarf breeders have gotten better about this, but I remember my first couple shows, there was just so many thick, um, not in curving Nigerian dwarf dry yearling thighs and i was just like what do i do and i was younger and i obviously know what to do now but um i think i do at least so i mean that's one class that i think if you don't understand what a good thigh um can look like or what a bad thigh can look like go ahead and watch that class at a local show and you might you'll probably be able to tell a difference there yeah that's a really good point and you know with any trade again to be able to view a spectrum in terms of you know one extreme to the other or you know just hopefully a broad degree of variation that's a class that usually has that variation and like i don't think we should totally single out nigerian dwarfs because we do see that in other breeds occasionally as well yes yeah um, i apologize yeah, nigerian dwarf breeders that is that is usually a very large class and you know as dry yearlings in any breed some of them do tend towards being overconditioned which sort of exemplifies and uh, accentuates that tendency. So it is it is a class that usually shows that off well. Um, back when I was a judge, you know, like back when Moses um, got the Ten Commandments, so it was a heck of a long time ago, before we never had heard the word Nigerian dwarf, I feel like that you used to see that a lot in Nubians. Um, because that wasn't very long after the part that the Nubian breed standard still talked about the, them being a dual purpose breed. So I, I feel like that in the Nubian dry yearling class, you saw a lot of these thighs that instead of being in curving were out curving and looked really put you in mind of a good um, Easter ham. Oh yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting that, you know, we're talking about dry yearling classes with this trait because I think a lot of times when those goats freshen, um, they really lack the productivity. They lack the utter structure, the you know width and openness uh, at the, in the escutcheon, the width of rear udder. That a lot of times we don't see those animals in the show ring as milking goats, no. as milking goats, um, which I think is a really sort of valuable thing to think about. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that one. Oh. One thing is, I wanted to bring up the thighs because I'm still thinking from the rear here. You can definitely tell when there's not refinement in the thighs because almost if you look at the pin bones, there will be just a layer of, of flesh over them. Wouldn't you agree there, get Laura, Ben? Yes, yes. And that goes back to, you know, what I was talking about when you asked about sharpness, you know, that it carries all the way back from the withers to the pins that, you know, while you don't want an animal that's under-conditioned, you do want an animal that has clear and prominent pin bones. If it doesn't, it's probably not, you know, doesn't have that sort of dairy essence and element that we're looking for. 
So are you talking about those animals that have butt dimples, for lack of a better word? Like yeah. a fat pony? Yes. yes. You know what I mean? Or, or a, you know, I'm an OB nurse, so I see fat baby butts all the time. There's <laughs> those dimples back there, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, those are that, those are fat dimples. <laughs> cute, cute on babies and maybe cute on ponies as long as they're not foundered. Right. <laughs> but probably not so cute on our goat. And I think that like that sort of goes into something that I had on my sort of list of things that I wanted to mention is looking at kids and especially kids, dry yearlings, not as much, but kids, different genetics and different lines express dairy strength very differently at young ages, I believe, even within breeds. There are animals that tend to strengthen up that, you know, they show all the sharpness and the openness and the cleanliness of bone structure, but lack strength as younger does, but then develop it. While there are all, there are other lines, which, you know, start out sort of what you're talking about, these little white La Manchas with, you know, butt cheeks. And then you see them as three or four or five-year-olds and they're tremendously clean, angular, productive dairy does. So I think that's really important to get a sense of, you know, whatever animals you're working with. Yeah, we judge them on the day that we see them in the show ring. But if you're looking at your goats at home, you know, to have a sense of how they're going to change and progress as they develop and, you know, reach full function as mature does. So Cameron, in your family, you've worked with different breeds, La Manchas and Alpines. And, you know, I don't want to typify the La Manchas that you had, but some of them were a little bit sort of the stronger variety, um, still very nice. And then your Alpines, there's a lot of dairiness and openness and angularity. Would you say that you've sort of seen different lines mature in different ways that, you know, as kids... You, you sort of have a sense of where what direction that animal is going. And then you're like, okay, well, she made it there. Well, I would say more in the sables. Now that I really think, sit down and I really? think about it. The, yeah, yeah, the sables the sables are a Pandora's box sometimes, I feel like. Uh, more than Alpines and definitely more than the La Manches were in, in that. Because I think in terms of their dairy strength, you know, they might have, and I think about substance of bone a lot when it comes to the sable breed, because in, in my opinion and from my experiences working with sables, that's what the breed needs a little bit more is substance of bone and having, you know, good bone and, and having solid necks that, you know, are beautiful and, and long, but spluth, uh, blend smoothly into the neck of the withers and having that substance in order to sustain. So, and I might say as a kid, okay, oh, that goat's going to have enough bone as a, as a yearling. However, she does it and you know the the ribs there she's got she's got flat ribs and good ribs spacing between those ribs but it almost looks like she's um just doesn't have enough to support it all and i've noticed that in some lines that you know they look fine as kids but as they get older and maybe when they start milking too and it's in my heavier milking lines they lose some of that bone because maybe they're so focused on milking and i could i can I can see that now that I think about it and some sables that I've seen, especially, you know, again, thinking about them as kids and then, you know, milking, especially milking yearlings that then, you know, you see a goat as a milking yearling and then she comes back as a four-year-old and you're just amazed that it's even the same animal. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it was all, she was really milked down and almost overly refined as a yearling, but then she did bring, you know, some of that strength came back. Yeah, that strength does sometimes come back in some of those lines, and you're like, Ugh, she looks like a gangly yearling. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with gangly yearlings to some extent, but, but sometimes they don't, they stay in that gangly yearling stage. 
Ben, um, on Facebook at times, you have put pictures of does that you've bred and, and I appreciate it, especially when you will show does that, you know, maybe this was a picture of her as a yearling and then this is a picture of her as a three-year-old and then this is an age doe. And I, I just find it fascinating to see the progression of depth of body and that angularity that you're talking about, those triangles that, that really have improved over time, especially um, in looking at, at these animals with top 10 records and, and, you know, 5,000 pounds of milk in a, in a lactation. And I mean, it's just really cool to see. Well, I think that like, that's the conundrum is most of the time when we are discussing an animal, whether it's at a show or judging it at a show or appraising it is we only, you know, we get to see that animal for five minutes or 15 minutes. And, you know, the, the net quality of that animal isn't necessarily going to be absolutely clear and evident in that short time period. But, you know, we want to, we want to look at it as a, what is the trajectory of the animal? How is she going to develop? Where has she been? Because again, you know, going back to the scorecard is, you know, that long productive lifetime. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming for is longevity and production over a long period of time. We are running long, but I hate to stop this because I just feel like, you know, there's just so much to learn here. Um, What would you like to say about, skin about skin and hair and the the last maybe somewhat overlooked element or maybe there's too much emphasis put on skin uh i wouldn't i don't know if there's too much emphasis but it's it's it is something that people seem to glom on to sometimes you know these bucks that have all the wrinkles and you know they're boar bucks that have a lot of wrinkles too so um But the, the general sense of it, and this sort of, you know, to, I know we're running short on time here, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit was how there are elements of dairy strength that we can look in other categories of the scorecard and see them there as well. So with skin, there's it talks about being thin, loose, and pliable. And then if you look down in the mammary system, not to steal the thunder of, you know, another episode, but... Uh, talks about in balance, symmetry, and quality, uh, soft, pliable, and elastic texture. So that's, you know, that's an area where that elastic skin is directly, you know, expressed and significant in another category of the scorecard. So I think, you know, it's significant. And I've heard Cameron mention it, lustrous hair. Thank you. Which is... You know, I think that shows a real student of the scorecard because it's not something that people casually will glean from their show ring experiences. So that's uh shout out for <laughs> I I for am me. like I'm raising the roof right now. I love lustrous hair and no one else says it, but I, I yeah. think it just goes to it's like the general overall like look of the goat because you can tell when they don't have lustrous hair you can tell when they're sunburned you can tell when they have skin issues and you know if if you're just maybe you're going to a fair and you see a goat that that you know maybe is in third or fourth and it looks weird maybe it's sunburned maybe it's got crusties in its hair you know you can tell that, that hair is not lustrous and i think it's important to point out and say hey as a judge i recognize this even though it's a very small percentage of it here, but I recognize this and there are things you could have done at home baths or, you know, sunscreen or whatever to, to really show that, Hey, I'm committed to really showing my goat off and dairy strength there. So that's why I talk about it. 
Yeah, and so sort of a funny story. It's always been a, a thing on the scorecard that I've always been vaguely amused by. And I like I appreciate it, you know, when an animal demonstrates it. But I wasn't always sure, like you said, it's a small percentage, but I wasn't always sure, you know, what exactly is the relevance of this. But I did have an experience with a buck who uh, uh, milked a decent number of daughters from. And this buck, he had the coarse, alpine buck, had the coarsest hair that I've ever seen on a dairy goat. It was like boar bristles. Um, And I've never seen anything like it. And I will say his daughters were not the most productive goats. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, it'd be fair to criticize him for not having the most lustrous hair around. Interesting. Did you say what breed that was? Uh, Alpine. That was an Alpine. Alpine. Interesting. Hmm. Not purebred though. So, you know, you can vote. <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to ask. It's fine. It's fine. I love Americans too. They're fine. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think lustrous hair is, is, it's so overlooked, but I think it's just a cool thing to talk about. And when you see it, you see it. I would sort of like to know the history behind, you know, who was the person that was like, we have to have this in here. And I don't know if that's on a record somewhere, but I would be very curious. Huh. Who would, I wonder who would know that. Hmm. Well, Steve Considine has sadly passed away. He would be the first person that I would know. Well, he would, yes. Yes, yes absolutely. Maybe, Dan, maybe Daniel knows. Daniel might. Daniel yeah. might, yeah. Does that kind of wrap up dairy strength? I think so, unless, you know, there's anything else. The Again, like you said, the, you know, will to milk and strength to sustain it. An animal that maintains a reasonable degree of condition while still evidencing a high degree of function, that's kind of the, you know, that milking ability given due regard to stage of lactation. And all the specific elements are, you know, the, the details that we look at to, you know, is it an animal that's showing those qualities? Ben, what is body capacity? You can read it from the scorecard in the book. You can give us your own interpretation. What are your thoughts on body capacity? I think hopefully if dairy strength is the category that's most challenging for a newer breeder uh, or newer goat owner to understand, hopefully body capacity is the easiest category because it is, you know, the, the way that I think of it is the, you know, it's the volumetric measurement of the goat. It's depth, it's width, and it's length. And, you know, it splits it up into chest and barrel, but like the essence of it is the deep, long, wide, capacious. Um, And that's kind of, you know, if the other, the other, the amusing thought that I have is that, you know, if you submerged a goat in a tank of water, how much water would it displace? Of course, the goat would be not a fan of that. (laughs) (laughs) Just ask my goats. (laughs) They'll tell you. With, with appraisal, we're constantly, you know, thinking about ways to, you know, accurately evaluate traits that that's been one that I've been like, well, that would be a really accurate way to measure the volume of a goat, right? Oh. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have fun. I bet you I bet you wouldn't have quite so many numbers to have to do either. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just show up with our float tank and when we're done, we can take a dip in the pool. That's right. That'll work. <laughs> Uh, but obviously body capacity is broken down to two areas, chest and barrel. And I think you can see, I think it's very clear that you can see the chest and what they're talking about with the width um, and some of the depth there as well. Wouldn't you agree, Laura and, and Ben? 
Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think this is like chest is another, it's one of those areas of the scorecard. It's really important to look at from every angle, you know, it's three-dimensional. Um, so look at the animal from the front. Is the chest floor wide? And is the actual chest floor wide? Because sometimes you will see animals that are, in general appearance, you talked about out at the elbow, and that can sort of create an illusion that the chest is wide. So, you know, if you're, if you want to put your hand in there and feel the actual width of the chest floor, when kids are born, uh, I've found there are certain kids that when I pick them up, when I put my hand under their chest, I'm like, wow. And you, that's what I like to, you know, feel and the sensation I like to have put your hand under there and you're like, wow, this really fills out my, I've got big hands and this kid's chest is deep and wide. And it's, that's, of course we can't do that with big goats, but um, that's like when they're 15 minutes old or less, when, right when they're born, it's something that I'll notice a difference in animals. And it usually maintains through maturity. That was so, going to yeah. be my question. Does it maintain? So that's good to know. Yeah, usually it seems like it does. So deep and wide from the front, uh, the depth you'll also see in profile. Trinity talked about the point of elbow and, you know, really wanting the chest floor to extend below the point of elbow. So that's really significant. So in early type conference, I think Stephen Richter said, you know, at least an inch below the elbow. And I'm not sure what the age was that, you know, that started to be as parameter, but, you know, certainly deeper than the point of elbow. Uh, and then also it's important to look uh, from over top of the animal. So a lot of times people will think uh, full in crops and crops you'll think about in shoulder assembly and kind of the smoothness through there. But that's a that's an area to look at for body capacity as well. So that's those four ribs. Are they well sprung? Do they kind of extend outwards and provide that fullness in the crops behind the shoulders? But wait a minute, Ben. Yeah. That is a very similar statement to that what you just said when we were talking about dairy strength. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, I I I'm pointing that out because it's important. Yeah. 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 I agree. Cool. I, I agree there. So I, yeah, just, I, I feel like it's very self-explanatory for the most part, but there's some nuances in there that might trip people up. And I love how you said you have to evaluate it from all angles, especially over the top. Um, Cause I, I actually never thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, and again, you know, on a senior dose scorecard, it's only chest is only 4%. So it's not a, it's not a big number, but it's an important important area to look. And usually the reason that we look at all these angles is because we want an animal that fills, that checks all the boxes. Cause we do see ones that are anomalies that, you know, hit two out of three or that goat that, you know, walks into the ring and you're just like, wow. And then you get behind her and you're like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> or, or vice versa. That goat, you know, you walk them around the ring and then you line them up and side by side. And you're like, wow, how did I miss this goat? And then you pull her out and then you see her in profile again. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yes, that happens all the time. I feel like <laughs> I, I'm saying yeah. that from ex from experience. <laughs> yep. I, I've been on the head of, of animals like that from time to time. That's frustra frustrating as a breeder, too. You're like, don't look there. Look here. <laughs> <laughs> all right so chest so then, oh, back when i was back when i was a judge dairy strength or which was called dairy character as i said before and body capacity were both worth the same amount of points on the scorecard 
Yeah. So um, that change there, do, do you, can you share some of the information about why that was changed and why that was, you know, what was behind that? Cause that was a pretty significant change to our scorecard. Uh, unfortunately I will say that predates me. So, um, see, I really I'll, am old. I'll, I'll wave my flag of youth and, uh, <laughs> say that I, I don't know the exact story there. Okay. Uh, but I do think, you know, what we've talked about in terms of how these categories tie together that, you know, that should really be recognized, you know, maybe, you know, there was that change from, you know, weighing, it went from, you know, being weighed comparably to dairy character having a little more weight. And then now the spectrum, you know, it, the points weren't changed, but the phrasing dairy strength versus dairy character was changed that that strength, you know, does usually correlate to a little more body capacity as well. So I feel like that kind of brings the balance back again, probably. And I, I think, think Oh, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, you know, we have to look and remember that the ADGA scorecard is a unified scorecard. So everything works together. And it's truly amazing when you think about it is, wow, there are so many aspects of, of the front end assembly that tie into the chest. And wow, that top line is even bringing into the, 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 the body capacity. I mean, there are so many things. And we have to remember the goal of the ADGA unified scorecard is to aid in the selection of the type of dairy goat that can function efficiently over a long productive lifetime. Yes, that is directly out of the book. And yes, I have it memorized by heart because it, it truly is. And you can see all of these things work together and that's why there's a unified scorecard. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So I think the last thing in body capacity to touch on is, is barrel. And we, again, we've kind of talked about it with the ribs there, but, but uh, Ben, take us along for the ride for the barrel. Yep. Strongly supported long, deep and wide. Uh, I think one, when I first started out, I always thought the depth and width was pretty clear cut, but it is, uh, you know, length gets a lot of talk and screen time and general appearance, but length is present in body capacity as well. I think that's important to keep in mind. So a barrel that's long, deep and wide, uh, depth and spring of rib tending to increase that ties again back to how we talked about ribs and dairy strengths. Uh, into a deep yet refined flank. So again, another tie back into dairy strength. So I think that kind of, you know, is relatively clear cut in terms of you want an animal that's deep, that's wide, that's long, and yet also demonstrates those elements of dairy strength uh, that make her a dairy goat. Yo, yeah. Where where I think da- or ba- barrel is so... It... it, it you know, it's there, there. I think there's maybe two types of barrels. There's those ones that are really like increasing in depth. And there's those ones that have really big spring of rib. And there's, and the two goat, the two that can, or the goat that can combine the two, that's the best one. But really that's where I think it's, it's hard to make a decision on who excels in terms of barrel when you've got one that's got more spring of rib, but the other one has more increasing depth of body into that barrel. Yeah, that's absolutely. uh, So you have in one case, an animal that has the spring of rib, but maybe not the depth. And then the other, you know, if you were to view it from the rear, we might almost call it slab sided. And 
you know, trying to find the balance there. But that's where, again, you know, we have to keep in mind, you know, in this in the show ring, uh, or if we're comparing two kids deciding which one to keep, yeah, we only have those two comparisons. But the one that most nearly approximates the ideal is really the one that, you know, the one that we should keep or the one that should move to the head of the line uh, in the show ring. So... No, I, I think I think it's so interesting. And I really never, as a judge, I never really caught myself using increasing depth of body back to that flank until um, like, uh, I think it was a year ago or so. And I was judging and I was like, okay, that makes sense. And you can, you can almost see the angle and then the angle back up to the flank as well. When you do see that goat that has that increasing depth of body back to that flank area and then going into that arched flank. Don't you agree, Laura? And then I would agree yeah. with that. Yes. That's spot on. Again, there's just so many angles to see here, whether it's a body capacity, dairy strength, um, even in the mammary system, there's angles. And I'm sure we'll talk about that next week as well. There. Anything else, Ben, that you'd like to say to kind of wrap up our little delve into body capacity and dairy strength? Um, I think it's really important. You know, one of the things that I did in sort of prepping for this was to just read through the whole scorecard. And there are so many points where strength or some of the things that we look for in terms of angularity and openness come up in other areas or the scorecard in general appearance talks about, you know, in general appearance, uh, prominent withers uh, on front end assembly, on head and breed characteristics, a strong jaw with angular lean junction to throat and legs, uh, pasterns and feet, bone flat and strong, cleanly molded hocks. There are just so many areas that sort of fall, fall back to the language that we use most significantly in dairy strength that, you know, for me, that's the category on the scorecard that really defines uh, what what we're looking for in dairy animals. And then the other the other sort of plug that I would make uh, is, in, again, in prepping for this, I was re- going back and reading Harvey Considine and Trimberger's Dairy Goat Judging Techniques, which is an old out-of-print book. And I, you know, highly recommend that to anyone uh, who's sort of interested in thinking about goats more um, and how structure relates to function. Uh, it's just, it's a really good book. It's, I, are you both, I assume both of you are familiar with it. Yeah. That's, that's what I asked for, for my 18th birthday. When it, when, um when Harvey first um, cut loose that, that book and that was my very favorite birthday present that year so yes (laughs) the thing that the thing that he when i was reading that the thing that he talked about in terms of you know everything was very character then and that's what the book sort of refers to but he talked about how you know you look for these specific traits and qualities in terms of you know the dairiness and angularity and body and then they should be affirmed by what you see in the mammary system. So, you know, these are, you know, you look for that refinement uh, while still having good substance of bone, a strong yet refined. uh, And that should translate into a, you know, a capacious, well-formed mammary. It's elastic that, 
you know, on the scorecard, the phrase is indicating heavy milk production over a long period of usefulness. So that was what he several times in there brought up was that, you know, that the elements and qualities of dairy, dairiness, dairy strength, dairy character should be affirmed by what you see in terms of the mammary system and its evident productivity. But it's a great book. It's a great book. People should try and find a copy. Yeah, they go pretty high on eBay. Find it at a raffle table. Find it on Amazon. Yeah. Find it somewhere. <laughs> um, ask a friend. We need we need a book club or something. The Goat Gab Book Club. We do. Or or maybe we maybe we could ask the Considine family if they would consider a reprint. I yeah I think I'm not sure if I think there was talk that that was something that was on Steve's radar before he passed away. But oh yeah. wow, that would be awesome. Well, yeah, it's definitely a resource that uh, should be revisited. I think Ben, I would we thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I wish you all luck at the national show. I won't be attending, but I am very glad that there are spectators. Like uh, Trinity said, the, you know, the best thing that you can do in terms of developing your eye is think about goats and see a lot of goats. And the national show is one of the very best places to see a lot of goats and good ones too, hopefully. Um, so yeah. Ben, if, if people wanted to uh, find you and take a look at your beautiful animals, how can they find you on the internet or social media or what have you? Oh, I should have been prepared for this. I have a terribly outdated website. Rebecca is much better about maintaining. So she does have, if you look up Starlet Lace, Sonnens and La Manchas, she has a website that links out to some Alpines also. Uh, and so you can check them out there. Also on Facebook, I try to share pictures of goats that uh, are inspiring me. Um, so there's some pictures on my personal page as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Ben, for being our guest. And um, thank you to all of our listeners for uh, being part of our family. Cameron, would you like to talk about our part three of our delve into the scorecard? Yeah, next week we're talking memory systems. With do, have we confirmed this guest? We have. Okay, I didn't remember when we talked about it. Uh, Todd Biddle. Todd Biddle's going to come on and talk about memory systems and everything about all things udders. So, as always, you can find us on the Facebook under Goat Gab, um, and we will be drawing for our prize this week. So, if you haven't gotten to um, sign up yet do so quickly you need to like us and you need to share us and we'll catch you next week